and welcome to episode 436 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show by introducing you to yet another surf band. This band is called City of the Lost. They are based out of the Russian Federation. This album is called The Second Lizard Radio Bootleg City of the Lost Surf by City of the Lost. The song is called Sand Riders. This is one of four tracks on this EP release. Go check them out at cityofthelost.bandcamp.com or cityofthelostband.com when you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'm excited to have you here because I've got some great content lined up this time around. Now, we have the amazing Dr. Tongue. He's back with the world of monster collectibles. We have Kenny and his look at famous monsters of Filmland. We have Professor Frenzy ready to tell us a bedtime story. And of course, we've got the main conversation this week, the movie that we're talking about, Giant from the Unknown, with my friend, fellow podcaster from X Meets Y and filmmaker Jonathan Inbody. But you know what else we have this time around? Something that I'm very excited about. You see, at Monster Bash, which is what, now a couple months ago, Time is flying. But uh, anyway, at Monster Bash, I sat down with author Dwight Kemper. Dwight's a great guy. He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of mine. And he is an amazing author. I love his books. And he gave us, you know what? I don't know if it's really an exclusive or not, but I'm going to call it an exclusive. He did a reading for us of a short story that may be seeing publication in the near future. But for now, the only place you're going to be able to hear his short story, Dysfunctio Cerebri, is right here on Monster Kid Radio. We did the recording at Monster Bash, and I've been sitting on it for several weeks now, kind of tweaking it here and there, getting rid of background sounds and throwing in some music. And just, you know what? I had a lot of fun putting the piece together, and I think you're going to enjoy listening to it as well. You know, we've got all of that, plus a voicemail from one of our listeners. Hey Derek, this is Russell down in Florida, and I know you had put the call out about any upcoming Monster Kid conventions or shows going on, and I didn't want to let this one pass by to let your listeners know that down here in Florida, at Silver Springs, they're going to be celebrating the 65th anniversary of the Creature from the Black Lagoon with the Gillibration. And of course, Rico Browning is going to be there on site, as well as a fellow named Scott Finster, who is from the FX show Face Off. He was in Face Off and apparently he has recreated the creature suit as accurately as possible going back from pictures from all different angles and, and as far as uh, they're concerned it could be the most accurate representation of the creature suit and he will be presenting that there so the creature will be there along with Rico and if you know anything about Silver Springs that was where they filmed a lot of the underwater scenes and they have the glass bottom boats where you can ride and see all the way to the bottom. You can actually take a glass bottom boat ride with the creature. Pretty cool. There's going to be lots of horror item type vendors. There's going to be food trucks. There's going to be panels. The Kilted Creature is going to be there playing. If you've never heard his music, he's outstanding. It's going to be a great time. It's from 10 to 8 in Ocala at Silver Springs National Park. And uh, we're heading up there. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a great time. And we're really looking forward to it. We always look forward to seeing and talking to Rico. And uh, he's going to be getting an award. And of course, they're going to finish off the night by showing the creature from the Black Lagoon. So we're really looking forward to it. If any of your listeners are around this area or in Florida and they come up and they keep an eye out, 
see if I run into them there, because I'm definitely going to get my picture taken with Rico and the creature, which is what they're offering, and I think it's going to be fantastic. So thanks so much for all you do, and I never miss an episode. Thank you from all of us for everything that you do. Derek, I hope you're doing well. And you take care now. Bye-bye. Russell, thank you for calling that in. And man, I am jealous. Please take plenty of pictures and maybe even give us a call from the event. Let us know how the gillibration goes. I've never been to Silver Springs, Florida. I have a feeling that if I ever do get to go there, you're going to have a hard time getting me to leave. I mean, that is, I mean, that is the place for creature fans, right? Anyway, the gillibration is happening one day. You can find out more about it at silversprings.com slash creaturefest, where you can learn about the event, see the schedule for what's happening that day. And like Russell said, David J. Scal, Rico Browning, the guilty creature. I mean, <laughs> this just looks awesome. And the screening of a documentary called Monster Kids, which I don't know if it's actually in circulation right now. I don't know if you can actually get your hands on it. I know it's making the film festival circuit. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance to see Monster Kids wrestle, maybe call in and let me know how it is. You know what, though? I keep saying call in, call in, call in. But what really I hope you do is you have a great time at Gilibration. Have a blast celebrating, well, my favorite movie in sounds like probably one of yours as well thank you for calling in i really appreciate it you know if you've got any monster kid events in your neck of the woods anything that's coming up or anything you just did feel free to give us a call let us know how it is we'll share it with the rest of the monster kid radio audience our voicemail line is 503-479-5657 that's 503-4795-MKR you know along those lines we've got son of monster palooza happening this weekend as well this is september 13th through the 15th you can find out more about that at monsterpalooza.com Com. Jim Moore told us all about that when he was on the show recently. Uh, he's going to be there. If you're going to be there, drop by. Let him know that uh, what Monster Kid Radio said hi. Check out all of his wares at his table. And again, call in and let us know how it goes. You know what? There are so many events happening. Things are starting to gear up again. I know we're at the back half of 2019, but I mean, we've got the celebration. We've got some of Monster Palooza. We've got Rose City Comic Con also happening this weekend here in Portland, Oregon. I'm going to be on a panel Friday. And then I'm going to be back again on Sunday, just kind of wandering the floor. I like going to the Rose City Comic Con to try to find some Monster Kid content. Sometimes I find some great stuff. Sometimes it's kind of a bust, but I still get to hang out with a lot of amazing people. And, well, Monster Kid Radio's favorite, Doffel, is Tom Doffel. He's going to be joining me on Sunday as well. If you're going to be in the Rose City Comic Con, track me down. I'd love to meet you. And you know what? Let's take this a step further. This was something that I used to do on my old podcast years ago when I was doing the zombie thing. I'm going to start doing it here on Monster Kid Radio. If you go to a convention, go to a signing, come across anybody that is connected to these classic monster movies, somebody who either directed or appeared in, did the makeup effects on, that sort of thing, the kind of movies that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio, have them give us a call and leave us a voicemail or call the voicemail line and hand the phone to them. If you can make that happen, if you can get somebody to call in and say hey to Monster Kid Radio, maybe give us a station ID, I'll send you a prize. Yeah, we're going to make this an ongoing contest. Until I say otherwise, this contest is ongoing. If you forgot our voicemail number, which I just mentioned a second ago, head over to our website and check it out, or just pay attention at the very end of the show where I mention it again. But to get to the end of the show, you've got to go through all this amazing stuff that's been sitting here in the e-hopper just waiting to be pumped into your monster kid ears.
famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Chuck Award winner. The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The world's most shocking monster stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. This is the voice of a woman dreaming of her lover. Oh, please, darling, let me close. I love you so much. And this, a woman having a nightmare. Let me out! What are dreams? What do they mean? When you dream, you wander into another world where everything is strange and terrifying. When you dream, you too become a nightwalker. The Nightwalker brings Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck together again in the film Shocker of the Year. Yes, I do have a lover. Tell me his name. I wish to God I could, but he's only a dream. And now, a warning from producer William Castle. Our new picture, The Nightwalker, may force you to dream of things you're ashamed to admit. If you can't stand your own dreams, don't see The Nightwalker. The Nightwalker. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Kid Radio Heads, this is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie was not featured in FM, so we will continue our issue-by-issue look at how films we have seen before or have not seen yet were featured in FM. Today's issue is number 5 from November of 1959. The first article we want to look at features three movies in one. I will let you figure out who we are talking about based on the title of the article. Revenge of the Blank from the Black Lagoon Walks Among Us. Yes, the beloved creature's three films are examined in this issue. The article is 11 pages long and contains 12 photos. It starts out as a straightforward synopsis of Black Lagoon, 
which includes this description of the creature's entrance. Tommaso and Luis prepare to retire for the night, their guns by their sides. Suddenly, their jungle-trained ears hear an ominous noise, the tread of heavy feet crackling twigs and branches underneath. Their eyes go wide with fright, their nostrils flare, and in one paralyzing moment, the thing is upon them. An eight-foot tower of power, black as the heart of a shark, tough as a rhino, strong as a boa constrictor, temper like a bear trap. That's our Blackie Lagoon. They call him Blackie for short, but not for long. With an instinct for self-preservation, Louise hurls an oil lamp at the creature. It bursts in the gill man's face, scalding him with burning oil and sending him into a flaming rage. He seizes Luis and batters him into insensibility before the popping eyes of Tommaso. Like a doll, the creature slams Luis around the tent until he is limp and lifeless. Then it turns on Tommaso, who suffers the same fate. After that, Blackie vents his rage on the camp, smashing everything to bits. After that, the article picks up the pace and claiming a full synopsis would take an entire issue, rushes to the end, skipping the famous water ballet with the creature and cave. I guess that was too mushy for FM's intended audience. Here's the brief mention of the revenge of the creature. Blackie is captured and brought to civilization in revenge of the creature, but they can't hold the likes of him long at the Ocean Harbor Oceanarium. And while they harry him, he harries them. The two main them being John, man from planet Aros, Agar, and Lori, day the world ended, Nelson. The article ends with a slightly longer look at Creature Walks Among Us. In The Creature Walks Among Us, Blackie meets up with Jeff Morrow and Rex Reason, and they wax enthusiastic about making him a little more human by removing the webbing from his burned hands and performing plastic surgery on his scarred face. The operation is a physical success, but does not particularly improve Blackie's temper, for he goes on several more rampages before the last reel sees him reeling into the sea. As a public service to the many friends and mourners of the late Blackie Lagoon, Famous Monsters is proud to present this historical tribute to his memory, RIP, which means rest in pieces. Of course, we all know the creature is like a mascot for Monster Kid Radio, and it would be easier to list the episodes he doesn't get a mention. Creature was the 75th film to get the full MTR treatment, in the 200th episode featuring Chris McMillan, Steve Sullivan, and Tracy and Scott Morris. And Walks Among Us was the 120th film covered in episode 279 and 280 with Peter Rollick. Surprisingly, Revenge has not had an episode dedicated to it, which leaves me thinking, what you waiting for, Derek? I imagine MKR patron saint John Agar is spinning in his grave at this oversight. Another film covered in issue five was Alligator People which was the 28th film covered on MKR in episodes 81 and 82 with Tom Beagler. The article is four pages long and has five pictures. A preview article, it starts with this news-like information. Lon Chaney Jr.'s back, and the alligator people's got him. The alligator people also has one of the former Tarzans, Bruce Bennett. And as heroine, the screaming beauty who previously been ministered by Suruku, Beast of the Amazon, Cucumbro, creature of It Conquered the World, and a terror that was out of this world and not of this earth, brave brunette Beverly Garland. Charles O'Neill, author of The Alligator People, reveals that researchers have discovered repeated references to the existence of such half-human monsters 
as described and seen in the picture. Producer Jack Leewood adds, by piecing together all available information, we have recreated monsters which, according to local Louisiana folklore, once roamed and preyed on the surrounding countryside in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. The article continues and concludes with a brief, spoiler-filled synopsis. Also in FM5 is a look at Return of the Fly, a seven-page preview article of nine pictures. A full, spoiler-filled synopsis is presented, and after the article, a new item appears for sale by Captain Company. A giant plastic fly, of course. The first fly movie was actually the first film covered by Derek on Monster Kid Radio, in episodes 5 and 6 with Devin Devereaux. But Return has not been covered. So, what you waiting for, Derek? That's all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This is Kenny for MKR. We'll be back with more next week. Adios! Listen. Do you hear? It's coming back. Turning the screen into a buzzing, crawling, creeping nightmare of terror. This is the son of the original fly, daring to explore the forbidden science of transmigration that brought horrible death to his father. You look as if you've just seen a ghost, old man. It was the fly. Fear that will fasten its choking grip on you as his weird experiments spawn the twisted monstrosities of a living hell. The rat man whose hands and feet are changed to paws. The living corpse who rose from his coffin. And the return of the fly, seeking revenge with a thousand eyes. Smashing anything that stands in his way. Suppose he does come here. What if Philippe does not have the mind of a human, but the murderous brain of the fly? Then he will have to be destroyed. Welcome to this month's meeting of the Classic Horrors Club. I'm Rich Chamberlain from MonsterMovieKid.wordpress.com and KCCinephile.com. And I'm Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. Let's begin with a report from our Sergeant at Arms. Vince, are there any housekeeping details today? Once the door is locked, there's no way out. The windows have bars that the jail would be proud of. And the only door to the outside locks like a vault. There's no electricity, no phone, no one within miles. So, no way to call for help. Uh, Thank you for that very thorough report. As you all know... Oh, yes, we have a comment. It's time we started. We had better get on with it. Well, we're trying. As you all know, we're recording a new bumper for the podcast. So what testimonials can you give potential listeners? Yes, Al? I hope that as you listen to this, you are among your loved ones. Hmm, interesting feedback, I guess. Vince, what do you think he means by that? So many unexplainable things have happened here. You're not really selling it, guys. Chris, how do you think fans of classic horror from Silent Screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, will feel after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast. 
In the first moments, every muscle, every fiber will be afire with torment and agony. In the days to come, you will pray for death. Come on, doesn't anyone have something good to say about the Classic Horrors Club podcast? Yes, Bela. Well, this isn't a very pleasant way to entertain a guest. At least someone's having fun. Let's adjourn on a high note. Al, would you like to sign us out? This concludes our danse macabre. Eloquent as usual. Thank you. Please join us for the next monthly episode of the Classic Horrors Club podcast, available where all fine podcasts are found. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us. Horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us. The grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Plus Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is The Living Corpse. It's from Tales from the Crypt, number 18, the June-July issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Wally Wood. So sit back, relax, while I tell this tale of the undead. Jed Bryant worked as a morgue attendant. He was getting older, though he still had a full head of brown hair and a bully mustache, and he liked the quiet evening work. One night, after a body was delivered, Jed was reading a book when one of the bodies of a man stirred, came to life, and strangled him. He fainted dead away onto the floor. When he awoke, the body was gone, and his hair had turned gray at the temples. No one would believe that a body came to life, so he tore out the record of the body's delivery. That next night, Jed came to work and inspected another body of a man that had been dropped off. As he was checking it, it came to life and attacked him too. Jed fainted again and dropped to the floor. Sometime later, he was found by another attendant who remarked on his now totally white hair. He left the morgue to distract himself. He went to a magic show that was billed as Satanus and Desiree. Sadly, Desiree wasn't able to show up. Satanus was a thin man with a thin mustache. He was lowered into a tank of water for 15 minutes. His heart stopped, but when he was removed, he came back to life. He's able to control his heart and respiration. This resurrection stuff was too much for Jed, who had seen enough bodies come to life over the past few days, so he went back to work. He read the newspaper and read an article with a photo of Satanus and Desiree. Desiree was apparently missing. 
he checked on the newly delivered bodies, and there she was under the sheet. She had a curious mark on her chin, like a snake bite. What could have made that mark? Later, another body was brought in, and it had a ring on it. That ring could have made the mark. Jed looked at the man's body and found it was Satanus the Magician, just without his mustache. Suddenly, Satanus lurched alive. He was only faking death to be brought to the morgue. He said that he was waiting for Desiree's body to arrive at the morgue so he could remove the mark from his ring that he made when he killed her. He had done the same over the past two nights, hoping her body would have been delivered. Unfortunately for Satanus, he hit his head on the marble slab. Was he dead or faking? Jed put him in the refrigerator and locked him in to be sure. From inside the box, Satanus cried out, No, no, I'm not dead. I'll freeze to death. But it was all too much for Jed. His heart gave out and he died. Eventually, the screams from the refrigerator slowed, then stopped. Quiet again fell on the city morgue. The end. I hope you enjoyed that rousing and rising story. These stories like to have things happen in threes. Three times Satanus came to the morgue and came to life. I get why they do it, but in a six-page story, it doesn't leave a lot of time for explanation. The whole mystery was explained in just one word balloon. The best part of the story was when Jed was shown as tormented by the bodies coming to life. Wally Wood did a creepy job showing Jed's nightmares. It's very effective. All in all, this was a solid, if not spectacular, entry. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy. skyscraper cities, thriving seaports, glittering nightclubs, and only a stone's throw away, the world's most savage, unexplored jungle, its terrifying wonders brought to the screen in the pursuit of Kuruku, beast of the Amazon. Never before such sights, forbidden voodoo rites of head-shrinking savages, serpent and quatamundi in death struggle. Water buffalo in wild stampede. Never before such danger. We'd better go over to them. Come on, Andrea. Me? Why? See the attack of the man-eating fish, the piranha. The bone-crushing assault of the giant anaconda. See white captives facing the deadliest peril of all. Kuruku, lusting beast of the Amazon. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. 
Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. That is an incredible motion picture. An entire town goes berserk when a giant underwater creature attacks all human life. That is a frightening experience. Don't miss that. Monster Kid Radio presents Dr. Tong's World of Monster Collectibles. Spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline, hometown USA. Hey, all Welcome to another annoying episode of DTWOMC. It's getting into my favorite special time of year. It's getting darker earlier. The leaves are starting to turn and fall. The kitties have gone back to their respective holding cells for the next few months. And it's time for stores to be putting out their Halloween merchandise. Now, I know I did a preliminary assessment a month or two back, but that was, oh, let's call it preseason. Just like all of you that like to watch preseason football. You're prepping for opening day. You can't wait to start sitting in front of the TV for hours on end, watching men in colored shirts run around on a rectangular grid for the next few hours. For me, this is prime time to seek out the treasures to be found for decorating for the upcoming All Hallows Eve festivities. Hey, Mark! What? You're always dredging up Halloween and monster stuff all year long. Why is now any different than any other time of the year? Well, this is true, and if you know me, and very few of you actually do, you know I'm a vintage monster and Halloween collector 24-7, 365. What makes this time of year particularly fun is that everywhere you look, there is stuff to be found. Everybody, and I mean everybody, the chain stores, thrift stores, flea markets, and the occasional late-season garage sale all bring out the orange and black knowing people are more apt to buy it at this time of year than, say, mm, April? I was super excited to get out there and see what was all new this year. Here's my assessment of the classic monster findings so far this year. That's right, folks. There is not that much classic monster goo in the shops this year. It's not like the Target Halloween section from a few years ago with the Karloff Franks and mummies everywhere. So far this year, I've found an old-school classic remake of a Frankenstein mask, as well as an old creepy clown mask at the Spirit Store. Which, by the way, is a great place to go if you want to purchase the latest in modern horror accoutrement. It, Child's Play, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw, Ghostbusters, while all really entertaining films in their own right, 
this. This is what my special day has been morphed into. <sighs> I have yet to see the Funko Mini Universal Monster Mystery figures, the horrified board game, or even those new NECA figures that I reported on a few months back. And it looks like Super 7 has pushed out the majority of their Universal Monster stuff until the first part of October for now. But I have faith, and my search will continue. I wish you all good luck, my children of the night. Happy haunt... Uh, oops, I'm sorry, I meant to say happy hunting. Artist Spotlight! This next company, or is it three different companies, I'm not really sure, is the creation of a couple of tattoo artists out of Austin, Texas, Zach Taylor and Ezra Hayden. They had a vision to create original toys that appealed to their 80s aesthetic and harkened back to their childhoods growing up. Calling the company Violence Toy, the creation of the Gore Lords line in 2015 was a dream come true for the pair, as it brought back memories of the muscle toy line from the late 70s, but in Zack and Ezra's images. This was followed up by a series of small rubbery vinyl figures that resembled the Japanese Maba zombies. Now hold on to your hats and keep listening, all will be explained in the next segment. They called their versions Creepies. And just recently, they released an amazing looking 10 inch tall vinyl figure of a Yowie, a very cool version of the Australian Bigfoot. I can't wait to see what these two have cooked up next. You can follow them over on Instagram at Violence Toy and on their website, violencetoy.com. You can also see some of their handiwork at the IG account, Phantasma Collectibles where there's MABA versions of Blade and Torch from the Puppet Master movies, as well as an amazing version of Belial from Basket Case. Keep an eye on these two knuckleheads. I see great things in the future. Vintage Monster Toys! Continuing in the same vein as my last segment, foreign monster toys, but sticking with the same country and, well, actually the same company. In the mid to late 80s, Mattel, yes, I know that's a US toy manufacturer, introduced onto the world the Mad Scientist line of toys. They encouraged kids to delve into the world of science, albeit mad science, but science none the same. There was the Dissect an Alien set where, yes, you guessed it, you dissected a slime-filled alien. There was the Monster Lab where you built your own monster with monster flesh compound over a bone skeleton and then you dissolved it in the chemical reaction bath you mixed up. Then there was the squeezable rubber monsters that, when pressed, shot slime out their noses, eyes, and mouths. This truly was a great line of toys. But like everything in the world, its time ran out. Mattel stopped making the line and moved on to bigger and better things. Like putting out new Barbies with different hats and Hot Wheels and different paint schemes. Ah, the originality. Now, in the toy world, where one line fails in one country, in another it succeeds. The Mattel Mad Scientist line in Japan was very popular. Well, much more than here in the US. So with that popularity, the company that distributed the line in Japan for Mattel carried on releasing monster goodness that was never to grace our store shelves here in America. Thanks, Mattel. Bandai Japan had partnered with Mattel in releasing the line. And this is where the name Maba is derived from. Bandai Mattel. Maba released onto the Japanese toy buying public a great line of slime squirting monsters under the name Maba Zombies. The cool little two inch tall figures were essentially heads and shoulders of a monster with a split somewhere on it, the head, mouth, eyes, ears, etc. And it came with little plastic accessories that you put inside. You filled the monster with slime, 
inserted the plug into the bottom so that it wouldn't leak out, and then you squeezed it until the slime and plastic toy pieces came popping out, much to your delight. Now the success of these little critters spawned not one, but three different sets of monsters over the next few years. The first set of six is fairly generic and unexciting. There's a vampire, what looks to be a mummy. And I say that as I personally do not have any in my possession and the only pick I could find of them is a set that has all covered in green slime. Then there's a nod to Carpenter's The Thing, a couple more freaky looking monsters, and a zombie. Now the second series kicked it up a notch with some more recognizable characters. A werewolf, a Frankenstein monster-like figure, a gill man, a Grim Reaper, a Chinese hopping ghost, and then a squished down Cyclops that pays homage to Harryhausen's seventh voyage of Sinbad creation. Of the three sets on the collector's market today, the second set seemed to be the easiest to find. Then there's that elusive third set. Four cracked out monsters in various forms or another that have gone through a growth spurt it seems. Bandai increased the size just a tad and added a little more detail and paint. Oh, did I mention that playset? The Mansion of Evil Spirits. That came with an exclusive figure also. A Devil Maba Zombie. It is incredibly hard to find. And the popularity of the line didn't stop in Japan. Monster collectors in the US have been searching for years for them online, in Japanese toy stores, or trading amongst fellow collectors. As a matter of fact, the line is so much of a favorite, there are several smaller independent toy companies making their own versions of the little Maba critters. Violence Toy, to name but one. See, I told you earlier it was going to come back around. Prices on these little fellas have been rising quite rapidly over the last few years. As their popularity rises, and vintage stashes dry up. Figures that fetch, say, 50 bucks a couple of years ago are going for over 150 now. If you want to dive into the deep end, make sure you have your money flotation device secured firmly around your waist. Hey! Got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon or feedback on the DTWOMC segments? Drop Derek a line and he will forward it to me here at MKR. If you're interested, you can see what's going on over at my toy shop on Instagram at Dr. Tongues Toys, as well as on Facebook under Dr. Tongues I Had That Shop, or on my private Instagram account, MonsterMan64, to see some of the cool stuff I pick up for my own monster collection. This is Mark, Dr. Tongue Peterson saying, Happy monster collecting, everybody. I'm out. Peace. step away from his past into a future free from fear or must a dead past return making of every living moment a time tortured tormented <laughs> tormented holding you spellbound for the she-ghost of haunted island
dreams of desire overshadowed by nightmares. Can a dead love's lust destroy a man? Or can a man defy the she-ghost of Haunted Island? It's going to be just as though you never existed. I'm going to marry Meg. But at the wedding rehearsal was one uninvited guest. I'll never let you marry Meg. You belong to me, Tom. You belong to a ghost. Tom Stewart killed me! Tom Stewart killed me! They burned it down. If you rebuild it, they will come. You didn't hear them? Beg your pardon? The voices. Pete. If you rebuild it, they will go. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they will come. They demolished it. If you rebuild it, they will go. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The house of Frankenstein lives. You see, uh... We began a project a few years ago, but unfortunately it was, it was interrupted. And we're most anxious to take it up again. In September and October, the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents a Supermates tradition, covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures. I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, vampires. We'll take the bat jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. Are you crazy? Jack Nicholson. Oh, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God, a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. Vincent Price. Let's, uh... Let's see what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. Gary Oldman. Enters freely of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screams at the scenic house of Frankenstein where terror is only a listen away. (laughs) Yes, the night holds terror. An evil reborn from the grave of Frankenstein bringing a macabre nightmare to a teenage world of rock and roll emotions. For the first time, a female descendant of the infamous Frankenstein, deadlier, more terrifying than ever before. He needed her kiss to satisfy his desire, but he wanted her soul for the fiendish creation that was to rule the earth in terror. I'm sure of one thing. Hurry before that brain cells are damaged completely. Frankenstein's daughter. Now everything was ready. Who would be his first victim? Who will feel the cold sting of death? Kill. Kill him! Call her off. Don't make me shoot. Go ahead and shoot. You can't even feel it. Kill him! Back! Get back! 
kill him. For the most suspenseful and gripping moments you have ever spent, see this masterpiece of Scream a Second Terror. You will never forget it. Dysfunctio Cerebri by Dwight Kemper. A den of thieves is just what the nondescript bar in the most notorious part of Goldstadt was. Not that this discouraged the medical students of the nearby university from experiencing the seedier side of life firsthand. But Herr Frankenstein was not here to get a sample of the local color. He cared not at all for the garishly painted ladies of the night, nor the buxom barmaids, nor the smoke-filled atmosphere. No, he and his hunchbacked assistant, Fritz, were here for a different kind of assignation. And one of the darkly lit booths was the objective of his little get-together. He was a tall, gaunt man with gray hair, a twisted smile, and an oily demeanor. Frankenstein sat opposite him in the booth. Grim? he asked the gaunt gentleman, who flashed Frankenstein a twisted smile. Grim's the name, he lisped. Grim by name, and Grim by reputation. Fritz hovered at Frankenstein's side, cowering at the piercing gaze those heavy-lidded eyes of Grim flashed him. And who is this charming gentleman? Grim asked. This is my laboratory assistant, Fritz. Frankenstein grew impatient. He ran his fingers through his oily, coal black hair and stared with equal intensity at the man. Is it true you procure specimens for Goldstadt Medical University? You mean, am I a grave robber? That is my reputation, kind sir. Grim took a sip of his whiskey. And is it true that you left the university to experiment on your own. Frankenstein eyed Grimm narrowly. What do you know about that? In my line of work, it pays to keep one's ear to the door, particularly if there's extra work to be had. That is why you arrange this little tete-a-tete, is it not? What I need are bodies. The fresher, the better. Male or... Uh, female. Male, for now. And how fresh. Preferably no more than three days old. Grim paused to consider this, scratching his lantern jaw. Now that's a tall order, Herr Frankenstein. A very tall order. People around here have been unusually healthy of late. Although, there are always accidents, which leaves me the question of the condition of the body. Any damage will prove of no importance. I plan to use the best parts, I feel. 
So what you're interested in is dissection and all that. Something like that, yes. Frankenstein leaned in. Can you do it? Can you pay? Of course I can. The fresher the subject, the greater the reward. Grimm nodded in the direction of Fritz. Do you suppose your assistant would be interested in acting as a lookout? I can always use a second pair of eyes. Frankenstein repressed a smile. He could use a second pair of eyes as well, but not as a lookout. Well, Fritz? Fritz shivered with apprehension. You mean, sneak around in the graveyards in the dead of night? Grimm smiled reassuringly. You needn't be frightened. The dead make good, if not terribly garrulous, company. Adding with a chuckle. <laughs> After all, every Burke needs a hair. Frankenstein glared at his assistant. Go on, there's nothing to be afraid of. Fritz reluctantly nodded his head. When do we do it? He asked Grimm in his hissing whisper. No time like the present. Grimm finished his drink. I know of a body of a freshly hanged lad not a mile from here. He asked Frankenstein, And where are the items to be delivered, Herr Frankenstein? Do you know the abandoned old watchtower on the hill overlooking the town? I do indeed. You will meet me there, tonight. Payment is on delivery. Excellent! Grim motioned to Fritz. Let's go, lad. I hope you're a good climber. It wasn't long before Fritz found himself a passenger of Grimm's horse-drawn cart. In the bed of the cart were old blankets and rope, along with other tools of the trade, shovels and picks and the like. A lantern hung from a pole by the buckboard. Considering your master's interest, you certainly are a nervous sort, Grimm observed. I can smell the ghosts already, Fritz said with a shudder. There it is, Grimm said, pointing ahead at the silhouette of a gallows and hanged man in bold relief against the grey-eating sky. Pulling back on the reins, Grimm maneuvered the cart so its bed was directly beneath the hanging corpse. Handing Fritz the knife, Grimm pointed at the gruesome prize. Climb up and cut the rope. Reluctantly, Fritz did as he was told. The body landed in the bed of the cart with a dull thud. Grimm hurried around to cover the body up with the blankets. Mounting the buckboard, he smiled at the nervous dwarf. Now wasn't that easy? Like taking candy from a baby. Easier than unearthing a coffin, let me tell you. I wish you wouldn't. It was on their way up the winding path that led to the watchtower that Grimm and Fritz happened upon a tramp walking along the side of the road in the opposite direction. Pulling up to him, Grimm asked pleasantly, Where are you bound, my good man? Goldstadt, the tramp replied. As it happens, that's just where we're going after I make a delivery. Would you care for a lift? Fritz was about to protest when Grimm shushed him curtly. Smiling, the tramp hurried around to the back of the cart and climbed into the bed. Many thanks, brother, he said. 
It was then that he felt the outstretched lump beneath the blankets. No sooner had he uncovered the corpse's pale face that a lead gap connected with the tramp's skull, killing him instantly. He said he wanted them fresh, Grimm explained to Fritz, adding with quiet menace as he covered his latest prize. I'm sure I can rely on you to remain discreet. Fritz nodded nervously. Herr Frankenstein was the perfect customer, as it turned out. Although a freshly bleeding corpse would have raised suspicions, he seemed inclined to ignore such paltry details in favor of worthy materials. In the coming weeks, Fritz and Grimm would visit morgues, charnel houses, and dig up the occasional freshly made grave. And as they made their deliveries, Fritz would nervously describe just what Herr Frankenstein was doing with those bodies. This piqued Grimm's interests no end. He was not a scientifically minded man, but he had been around enough of them to piece together the nature of Frankenstein's experiments. And piece together was the right expression, because it seemed Herr Frankenstein was building a whole body from the bits and pieces Grimm had supplied. Given time, there might be blackmail money to be had. But for now, he was content to ply his trade. Child murderer at large, read the flyers posted to every vacant lamppost and fence in town. The victims were all little girls. At first the police thought they were accidental drownings. The Goldstadt coroner never found a trace of sexual assault. But six little girls over a period of three months, all of them accidental drowning? That was too much of a coincidence in a town with such a small population. What the coroner didn't know was that not all the victims were found washed up on the shore of the lake. Nearly a quarter of them found their way onto the dissection slabs of Goldstadt Medical College. All of them supplied by Grimm, who fancied himself something of a Pied Piper when it came to charming little girls into his murderous web. He would use his horse to gain their trust, then suggest a game that took them well out of the sight of their parents or guardians. And then, spring his trap. It gave him a thrill to lead the little ones to their deaths, all under the pretext of a harmless game. But he never raped them. Oh, he wanted to, surely, but there was a part of him, possibly a glimmer of a conscience, that made him feel that was going a bit far. He derived more than enough release through the simple act of drowning them. And what little girls he didn't let the river claim added to his coffers thanks to Dr. Waldman and the other professors at the university who were grateful to have child corpses for the medical students to examine. Grimm was amused by the idea that if there were a rape committed on those young innocents, they were committed by none other than the learned men of science. My, how that tickled him. But now things were heating up, and Grimm decided that his favorite pastime would have to wait. Then it occurred to him that if the good people of Goldstadt got too itchy to find a poor soul to pin the deeds upon, perhaps Fritz was a worthy scapegoat as any. It was during one of their frequent nights out looking for bodies that this notion first presented itself. 
Grim gave Fritz a quick glance, sizing him up as a possible child murderer. Why are you looking at me like that? Fritz asked nervously. No reason, friend Fritz, Grim said reassuringly. No reason at all. Grim snapped the reins of the horse and quickened its pace. It was during a night at the dank tavern that Grim got careless. He had had too much cognac, and he began boasting of his prowess providing cadavers for a young scientist. Two gendarmes were at the bar hoisting a few when they overheard Grimm. May we have a word? One said as they surrounded the body snatcher. Why, certainly, officer, Grimm smiled. Catching one of the gendarmes off guard, he gave him a swift kick to the solar plexus and made a run for the exit. The denizens of the tavern knew what to expect and ducked for cover as shots rang out and Grimm's body hit the filthy floor with a thud. The Goldstadt coroner collected the body and soon Grimm found himself on a marble slab with cold water running from an overhead pipe on his face to keep him from decomposing. It was then that Dr. Waldman came by. I beg your pardon? Waldman asked the night attendant. I am from the medical university. And I'm in need of... Well, for want of a better term, a criminal brain. For what purpose, sir? The attendant asked. Instructional. I'll be giving a lecture on the differences between a normal and an abnormal brain of a typical criminal. I was hoping you might have such a specimen. I don't know, sir, the attendant hesitated. Any criminal type would need to be examined by the coroner. He held out his hand and cleared his throat. <clears> Waldman <throat> smiled as he reached into his pocket. Of course. He produced fifty crowns and placed them in the attendant's waiting hand. The attendant smiled. As it happens, sir, I know just the chap for your lecture. He led Waldman into the morgue proper and to the naked body of Grimm. This one's a thoroughly bad sort, sir. Body snatcher, murderer, maybe even a child murderer, I shouldn't wonder. Waldman tried not to let on that he recognized Grimm as his chief supplier of cadavers. He probably would... Cut. It probably would be for the best if the body were disposed of. He will do nicely, Waldman said. He quickly got his student helpers to wrap the body in a burlap sheet and hustled it into the back of a waiting van. What's become of Grimm? Herr Frankenstein asked Fritz testily. He paced the floor of the watchtower, pausing to look out the great covered peephole in the heavy wooden door. He's usually here by now. I only need a few minor pieces to complete my work. He glared at his assistant. Did he say anything to you? No, Fritz said, flinching and shaking his head adamantly. Never even came by to see me to go with him. Well, we can't wait any longer, 
Frankenstein insisted. There's a body being buried in the cemetery tonight, and there's a hanged man that will do well enough for a donor brain. If Grim won't supply them, we'll have to go ourselves. And so Frankenstein and Fritz became their own grave robbers, first digging up a freshly interred body. He's just resting, Frankenstein said, patting the coffin, waiting for a new life to come. Then Fritz climbed the gallows and cut down another hanged man. Frankenstein examined the corpse. His face expressed his disappointment. The neck's broken, he said. The brain is useless. We must find another brain. It was then that Fritz was sent to the university to obtain a perfect cerebral specimen. Frankenstein had heard of Waldman's upcoming lecture on normal versus abnormal brains. Fritz climbed up the window of the operating theater and watched as Waldman addressed his anatomy class. The professor indicated two jars. Here we have the finest specimens I have ever had the good fortune to come across, he said using a pencil to indicate the jar with a normal brain. Then he directed his students' attention to the jar marked Dysfunctio Cerebri. And here we have the abnormal brain of the typical criminal. Note the degeneration of the frontal lobe and the distinct degeneration of the middle frontal lobe. Waldman gestured towards Grimm's sheet-covered cadaver. Only his naked feet poked out from beneath the sheet. This matches the case history of the subject before us, whose life was one of brutality, of violence, and murder. Both these jars will remain for your further inspection. The torn sheet was drawn to cover Grimm's naked feet, and the attendant wheeled out the stretcher carrying the grave robber's body and on to the furnaces where it would be cremated. Grimm's life had come to an end, at least his former life as a human being. Fate had greater plans for Grimm's afterlife. Monstrous plans. Huge thank you to Dwight Kemper. Dwight, you are the man. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I love it when monster kids, well, do good. When they create something in the vein of the classic monster kid media that we love so much. And Dwight, you're one of the best. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And your patience as I went through and produced that segment. Appreciate you waiting for us to unleash it on the Monster Kid Radio audience. I hope everybody enjoyed the work that was done on it. But most importantly, I hope they really enjoy what you did. Your voice work, your acting, and man, you got a good, good Colin Clive. An amazing Colin Clive. Man, that was that was top notch. And your Dwight Fry, mm, really good. And you got the lisp perfectly for Karloff. Man, you're just the man. Thank you for doing this. Listeners, if you need more Dwight Kemper goodness, head over to monsterkidradio.net and check out the book club. Scroll down a little bit, look up Dwight Kemper, all three of his books that are currently available on Amazon. You can get through this link. I recommend all three of them. Dwight, thanks again, man. From ancient Genesis to the modern screen, is the name written in blood, Ega. If I could just call you on the phone 
the coat of the ghost, got the sign of the toad. Nobody lives on the Brownsville road. Thrill to the newest recording star, Archwell Jr. Oh, the scream in this way. See ravishing Marilyn Manning in a thrilling, chilling story. of the prehistoric giant sees his first girl, Noah. Curious newsmen search deep in giant country for the last of the ancient cavemen. See a tough giant, tamed by the soft hands of his captive woman. See him sacrifice his ageless beard for her love. Then lose her to a boy in a dune buggy, escaping a burning desert. Ega's primitive passion was love or kill. <laughs> The ancient language of love, used at the beginning of time. See, Ega! jungle of death, a power-mad genius who changed them into horrible creatures of another world. Then three strangers stumbled upon his green hell. Two men and a lovely girl who held civilization's last chance to halt this all-devouring evil. Could they stop all this terror? Could they stop this madman? who turned these lovely maidens into half-women, half-beast she-demons. For terror that has no equal, for excitement that never lets up, see this explosion of frightening fury that flames into a motion picture experience you will never forget. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited, and they may spoil a movie or two. 
You know how excited Monster Kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. From the X Meets Y podcast, I've got Jonathan Inbody coming back to Monster Kid Radio to talk about a movie that I had never seen before. He mentioned it to me. It's been months now, at least three months since we've chatted, and I am thrilled to get into it. We'll talk about the movie here in a second, but first, let's talk about you. How you doing, man? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. What's been going on in the past few months since we've had you on? Well, so I've still got X Meets Y, obviously my like flagship podcast going on. It's mm-hmm, improvisational mm-hmm. movie pitch podcast. If anybody hasn't uh, heard me on the show before, basically every episode I and a rotating cast of guests select two movies out of a hat and then uh, have half an hour to combine them into a totally new, totally original movie idea. That's a lot of fun, but that's not actually what I'm here to primarily promote today. Um, <laughs> I also have uh, a bunch of drabbles, which are 100 word short stories that are getting published in a couple of anthologies. So basically there's this series called Dark Drabbles. It's from Black Hair Press, Hair Like the Rabbit. It's like an independent press out of Australia. And over the course of five of these Dark Drabbles uh, books, I have something like 15 Drabbles that are getting published. Wow. So it's very exciting. I'm, I'm all kinds of thrilled about it. It's really nice to like hold a book and have my words in it. So I'm, I'm still a little giddy. <laughs> oh, I, I know that feeling, my friend. I totally get it. That's, that's so cool. So basically, there's like I said, there's five of them that have my work in it. There's potentially a sixth. You know, they haven't gotten back to me on that one yet. So the first one is Worlds. It's all sci-fi stories. I have two drabbles in that one. The second one is Angels. It's like religious fantasy, but it's not like it's not like religious. Like one of mine is very blasphemous, but um, but you know, they're all examining religion. The third one is Monsters, which I think it would be of particular interest to uh, your listeners. Okay. And then the fourth one is Beyond, which is like uh, all ghost stuff. And that one I actually have five stories in. Uh, That one's going to be out September 17th. Uh, The other three should already be out by the time this episode airs. Okay. And then the fifth one is Unravel, which is all crime stories. And I have four stories in that one. And that's out towards the end of October. Can you send me links to all of this? And I'll make sure there are links in the show notes so people can know where they can buy the books and just kind of keep up with what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And um, if you want to keep up with this specific series, any of these listeners, uh, if you want to go to blackhairpress.com, again, hair is in the rabbit, H-A-E-R-E, you can just go to the publications page on their website and it'll list all of these Drabble anthologies. Right on. Now, off mic, we've also talked, I guess it was on mic, off recording, (laughs) we also (laughs) talked about a short movie. Yes. Yeah, I have a short film. Uh, It's called Unearthed. It's like a mummy movie. It's like kind of an homage to uh, 1930s universal style movies i'm trying to do a series of short films where i kind of like put a little spin on each of the classic monsters it's it's you know it's a, been a fun thought experiment writing these and i'm excited because this is the first one that i've actually like gotten shot edited anyway it's going to be in a festival at the end of august because this is you know obviously we're recording this in advance but hopefully it should be in some more festivals coming up if i get here get word that it is going to be in any festivals before this episode comes out I'll send uh, the information, Derek, you know, feel free to add it at your discretion. But either way, once it's done with the festival circuit, I'm going to put it up on YouTube and I'll come back to promote it and tell you guys where you can find it. I'm really excited about it. And the listeners of this show are the intended audience for it. So as much as I'm uh, going to enjoy sending it around to festivals after it's done with the festival circuit is when I'm really going to get to enjoy the fruits of my labor. You know, I totally understand. Um, I'm a little disappointed that I'm going to have to wait to see it. But uh, I hope it does well in the festival circuit. And, you know, I just hope it does really well for you. 
Well, I do have a private YouTube link to it, so uh, okay, well, I we'll might talk be able off to get recording. you we'll an talk- early screening. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk off recording, but I'll offer you a oh, review, yeah. and you can meet you. So, as heard about it, never, never mind. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is all going to get cut. We got to get rid of this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I wish you the best with the film and and everything, and uh, I can't wait to see it myself and, and hear about how it swept all these festivals and, and picked oh, we'll up all see. the awards, <laughs> all the awards. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Some of the awards. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm, one. Yeah, maybe I'm aiming one. high, but I'm not aiming that high, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, did you aim higher than the people who made Giant from the Unknown? I, I think I kind of must have, because like, there's a lot of good ambition on display in this movie, but it feels uh-huh. really hamstrung by the budget. It really does. And actually, I can't believe we were just about to forget to do this. Dude, oh, we can talk about the movie. Five, yeah. We got to do the classic five, man. I, I was almost all proud got away of, with not doing it. <laughs> I was so proud of my segue. I totally forgot great, about yeah. the classic five. All right. <laughs> For <laughs> listeners who don't know, or you're just now joining us, Monster Kid Radio has a game that we play called the classic five. It's a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. The questions are all about classic monster movies. It's basically a conversation starter, an icebreaker, a way to uh, get my guests to loosen up a little bit on the show not that it seems like jonathan and i would have a hard time finding something to talk about but still it's a fun way to uh, spend a few minutes here on the show jonathan are you ready to play i am ready all right here we go card number one what is your go-to film to introduce someone to classic monster movies Ooh, maybe i I would say probably either the wolfman or like bride of frankenstein because i feel like those are pretty uh like well excuse the pun universally uh crowd pleasing films Ouch. <laughs> I'm totally putting in the wah, wah sound effect right there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Those are solid, man. Those are good films. Those are uh, almost perfect. So, yeah, yeah I don't go. feel like anybody could watch those and not at least come away with a respect for the craftsmanship, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Card number two. Uh, this one is from the in development uh, second deck that I'm working on right now. What is your go-to film to introduce people to kaiju monster movies? Ooh, ah, man. Ah, There's so many Godzilla movies that would be great for it. I guess it probably depends on the individual person. If they like the more serious stuff, then I would just start with the original Gojira. But if they like a little more of the like wacky, like not exactly so bad it's good, but the more camp stuff, then maybe Godzilla versus Gigan. I, I really enjoy that one. That's that's like a guilty pleasure for me. And I hate to use the word guilty pleasure, but. All right. All right. Card number three. This is from the Hammer Expansion. Which movie do you prefer? Taste the Blood of Dracula or Blood from the Mummy's Tomb? I got to go Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. I, I've I've yes! uh, said on this show before that I have problems with the Hammer Mummy movies. And I do. But I love mummies. So it's always going to be. You know, in case you couldn't tell any of the the listeners, I love mummies considering I made a mummy short film, Um, (laughs) but I always have to go on the side of mummies. Blood of the ever living, the ever evil blood from the mummy's tomb. From the dead, dead past come powers too terrifying, too strange to be believed. You know who I am? Yes. And you're afraid, aren't you? Who is she, wearing the mummy's face? Is she one of us? 
enjoying our kind of life, or is she the ever-living, the ever-evil? <coughs> From the Mummy's Tomb, rated PG. Oh, I, I love that film. I, I love Taste of Blood. Don't don't get me wrong, but mm. I love the Hammer Mummy films. You know, warts and all. I love them. So yeah, they just need a couple more mummies for my taste. They're good well, movies, but it's like I need some shambling. I need the raps. You know, like it's it's the whole thing. Every movie could be made better by more mummies. So right? oh yeah, certainly. You know, Casablanca. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? That sounds like an X meets Y. I was going to say, this is right up your alley, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, card number four. What's your favorite John Agar monster movie? I, I want to go to Tarantula just because I feel like that's probably the most recent of the John Agar stuff that I've watched. And mm-hmm. I really enjoy uh, the overall vibe that that one has going for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Tarantula. That's a solid flick. But what if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength? Took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours. Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder. The isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. Right on. I was doing a poll the other day in one of the Facebook groups that I'm in, and they wanted people to pick their favorite John. Which John do they prefer in a supporting role, John Agar or John Carradine? And I had a real hard time because I love John Agar, don't get me wrong, but I had a real hard time just picking him because he's not a supporting actor. He is the man. Right, yeah. He's he's very, like, lead scientist guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. All right, and this one, I'm, this isn't from one of the cards, but I thought I'd put you on the spot anyway. Other Ooh. than the original Karloff film, what's your favorite Universal Mummy film? Ooh. Um, and can you keep them straight? Because they all have such similar names. I was about to say, <laughs> it's the one with the bayou, but I don't remember what it's called. The one with the bayou, so it's not it's the, the one with... it's the last one in that string of them. Um, if I remember correctly, but it's also been a while since I, and I watched those all like together when I watched them. So they all have just drifted together. The first time I watched all these movies, I did that too. I just mainlined them. And so they all just kind of blend. Yeah. I, I get on these universal kicks and then I just watch mm-hmm. like an entire series of universal stuff. And then I forget which movies are which. So the mummy's curse took place in a swampy area. It's implied it's Louisiana. So I'm guessing that's probably yes, the one. That's the one. Yes. Okay. Cause I, I really like what they do with the general uh, aesthetic in that one. True. Well, there is a swamp set up in the mummy's ghost too, but nah, whatever. Yeah. All right. One of the swamp ones. <laughs> yeah. The mummy movies are the ones that are the most geographically and chronologically hard <laughs> to, to follow because they say so much time passes and you know you end one movie in one location but he resurrects in a different location like in the mummy's coast and the mummy's curse he mm. goes down in massachusetts comes up in a louisiana swamp like 20 <laughs> years passes or whatever so like one of these movies should be taking place in the 90s it just doesn't it, it's hard to make them all make sense but i'm just chalking that up to mummy magic yeah there you go that works because yeah. that's yeah. I, I think that's a an easier take than just universal wasn't concerned with canon that's true. Although, you know, this is a whole different conversation. That was the classic five. <laughs> <I eat. laughs> like you win. 
I, 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 I won. Know, you won. I, I know it. I always say there's no winners, but uh, you do win, and your prize is that you get to stay on Monster Kid Radio to talk about the giant from the unknown. There is nothing I would like more than to talk about that movie right now. There's something mighty strange going on around here. First, the cattle and the horses ripped apart. Then old man Banks is found dead under mighty peculiar circumstances. Just ain't natural. For five centuries, it waited beneath the earth, held captive by a mountain of stone. No, you don't think he could still be alive. If he were, it could explain a lot of things that have been happening. It's impossible. He's been dead at least 500 years. So was that lizard I found. Suddenly, in a flash of fate, nature unleashed this horrendous monster. The nightmare giant who held all civilizations in a paralyzing grip of fear. Man was powerless against this creeping terror. Bullets could not stop it. And only human life could satiate its bloodlust. Here is terror that strikes with gigantic fury. An amazing adventure into a hellish world of horror you will never forget. Beware, its cold look of death is watching you now. Okay, so I had never seen the movie, and I purposely put it off until this morning because I knew we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm fresh to this film. I, I knew what the movie was, but it's one of those ones that just kind of hovered kind of on the periphery of my, my awareness. Never really got around to checking it out. It never really had a huge home media release, at least that I was able to discover. It just is one of those movies that eh, it's a monster movie. I'll watch it eventually. I'm glad we finally decided to talk about it and I got a chance to watch it because I did enjoy a lot of it, but I also had some issues. It's hard because it has so many things that I always like in any movie. Some of the stuff that I really love in movies as like a cheat code to get me to enjoy your movie. If there's like a giant or a conquistador or an unfrozen caveman, I'll always enjoy your movie if those are in it. And Vargas from this movie is all of those. <laughs> so it's just designed for me to like it regardless of the plot holes or, you know, some of the wood, a little more wooden acting. But overall, I think it's a really positive experiment. I just wish that they had gotten to make Giant from the Unknown 2 so that they could kind of solidify what they were doing with it. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, there are some inconsistencies in the story a little bit, uh, and, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. And you went right to Vargas, so let's talk about Vargas. Vargas is the giant, the giant mentioned in the title. Yes, the Diablo giant. Yeah, yeah. although he's not really unknown. We know who he is from the beginning yeah. because they're looking for him. He's played by Buddy Bear, who... I mean, he's a big dude, so they cast him right. Mm-hmm. He does the um, kind of looming menace really well in this movie. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard him speak. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think I have. Because he doesn't talk in this. He's, I mean, he screams a little bit, but that could have been anybody, really. Yeah, that's kind of one of my problems with this movie is the the villain that they make is so interesting and specific. And then they just tell kind of a like a Bigfoot movie story with it. There's nothing that he does that is unique to an unfrozen conquistador. Mm -hmm. If he was just a little more like talking in Spanish or planning ahead, it's almost there. I mean, that, and that's, I think, one of the biggest issues that I have with this film is that we have this really cool monster with some really cool makeup. I mean, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that uh, it's our boy Jack Pierce. Yes. 
I had no idea this is what he was doing in the late 50s. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Universal really missed out by not keeping him on. If this is what he was pulling off on a low budget production. Yeah, that's the know? thing. If this was a universal, one of the universal franchises, mm-hmm. if they had made two or three or four of these, one of those four would have been like really good. But just the one movie we have, the makeup and the monster, it's not really enough to elevate it, but it's enough that it bears talking about and that it's really interesting. I- I'm coming on the show to kind of be defense attorney for this movie because I want I want people to give this a watch. It's really interesting, has a lot going for it. But I do understand there's a lot of flaws here. Oh, sure. I think it's got all of the elements that we recognize and love from 50s universal sci-fi horror. And even a little bit of like early 30s universal horror. And there is a strong Frankenstein element here Mm -hmm. uh, with the lumbering menace that's just kind of there and is being, well, chased and punished and killed because of what it is. (laughs) And through no fault of its own. Well, I guess it does try killing people, but yeah, he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. But I mean, I would throw rocks at somebody who's shooting at me. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) there's no attempt to try to communicate with him. No, like no one speaks Spanish. Like, yeah. Nobody even tries. Even an ega, all right? They try talking <laughs> to him. They try talking to the giant, to the big guy. Mm-hmm. Nobody tries talking to him. They're just like, oh, no. And then, you know, he kills people. Yeah. They shoot at him. They chase him. They, yeah. There's definitely a point during the final showdown at the mill where I start really feeling bad for Vargas because Brooks yeah. is just beating him with a two by four and he's just stumbling around. I mean, he's going to. Yeah. He'll just leave if you let him. (laughs) Yeah, you're chasing him at this point. He's turned his back to you. He's running away from you. And you're chasing him with a stick. Who's the monster here? (laughs) You know? It's not the unfrozen conquistador who was called the Diablo giant. Not at all. Not at all. Well, we jumped right to Vargas. I want to talk about some of the other cast. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, the movie, I think, kind of suffers a little bit in the acting department. Yeah, there's some moments where I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't think it was a direction thing. I mean, the director, Richard E. Kuna, I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. I really don't know for sure. I should mm. really try to find out uh, for next time because there very well could be a next time because he's directed other monster movies, Frankenstein's Daughter, She Demons, you know, so he, he is a genre guy mm-hmm. and he knows what he's doing. I like Frankenstein's Daughter. I like She Demons. A lot of his movies are up on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah. Oh. I'm glad that they have easy access, but I also have beef with the way that they're advertised on Prime because they all have the original schlock classic on the like yeah. little thumbnail. And yeah. this movie is not like this isn't a so bad it's good movie. It's just kind of a failed experiment trying to do like universal style horror a little later, you know? Yeah. If you go in wanting it to be schlock, you're not going to enjoy it. I don't think that's really a good way to describe it. You're right. Let's listeners, let's all contact Amazon. Yes. Everybody complain about Giant from the Unknown, a movie two people have watched. <laughs> no, don't, because they'll probably just yank it from their watch instantly. So we want people yeah, to be right. able to see it. But yeah, the acting, I just felt like it felt a little short for me. It just fell short. And some of it came from some of the older actors. Sheriff Parker is played by Bob Steele. And while his style of acting, I'm sure it was fine for a movie like this. It really felt out of place. Bob Steele played a lot of cowboy Western types. Yeah. I think a lot of the cast is kind of Western people. Indian Joe, I think is, is a Western character. Oh actor as well. yeah. Which Indian that character, Joe. I mean, anybody who's, whose first line is all white men must die or whatever. I'm while like, all right, maniacally. this guy while seems laughing, awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's sitting there laughing maniacally, kind of rocking. He's like, ha, 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 oh, white men will die. It's like, what? I love it. Dude. Yeah, he's played by he's played by Billy Dix, who, again, he's also a Western guy, did a lot of Western television, a lot of Western television. If you look at his uh, credits, a lot of them are just cowboy, uncredited. Cowboy, yeah. uncredited. So yeah, he's got that vibe. And Bob Steele, the same thing. He did a lot of Western television too. And he's, in some scenes even, as much as we love what Jack Pierce did with the giant, I don't know if he was responsible for the character makeup, for the uh, non-monster makeup, I yeah. guess, cutie makeup, because some of the makeup on Bob Steele as the sheriff has a very pancake white vibe to it, which you do get in early, earlier Westerns, right? Mm-hmm. But it just seemed out of place here. Overall, I feel like this this movie suffers in in like two departments in the biggest way. And the first is the script. Like the script has obvious plot holes. The characters are written in a way that is confusing. And then the acting, even when they're good actors, they can't really carry off what the script is going for because the script doesn't really know what it's going for. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Sure. So I, like I don't blame the actors necessarily, but they also don't bring their A game to this movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of these people did do a lot of genre work or some genre work. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, we've got, uh, what's his name? You know, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, we've I, got I, Ed, Ed Kemmer. Yes, yeah. Yeah. He was in Earth versus. Yeah. And, he's, and he was pretty good, I thought, for the most mm. part. And he's in Earth versus a spider, which is a you know a favorite of mine. He's great. The love interest, uh, the professor's daughter, Janet, played by Sally Fraser. She probably could have used a little bit more work, but then to be fair, she wasn't given the best material to work with. She's not really anything other than the beautiful daughter that sometimes gets into trouble. They yeah. really don't give her much to do other than fetch coffee and uh, maybe go get the first aid kit. There's a scene where she literally ends the scene like the male characters leave the scene and it goes in for a close up on her and she just goes, you men have all the fun and then just smiles and it takes like three or four seconds for it to cut so she just looks like a stepford wife and it's really upsetting yeah it's not mm. it's a bummer do not wa- yeah it is a bummer do not watch this movie expecting to see some amazingly drawn female characters no uh, they and, really do play up the stereotypes quite a bit yeah and at the beginning her and her father have a really nice rapport like the first time that she meets uh brooks ed Kemmer's character they yeah. have a nice rapport and then they don't let her do anything for the rest of the movie Right. It's 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 disappointing because if this character was scripted better, I think she might have brought a little more to it. And maybe that's where some of the issues that we're finding here come from is maybe the script just didn't deliver enough material for the actress to really invest. Yeah, maybe. maybe, And who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm projecting here. I really don't know much about the production of the film. I'd like to know more because I found a lot of it fascinating. The professor's played by Morris Ingram. And again, genre guy, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, a giant claw. Mm-hmm. Rocket ship. You know, these movies are great. Rocket yes. ship XM. I mean, he's and he's, you know, a vet. But again, he still feels a little stilted. He, to me, looks like a classic case of this guy is in this job for the paycheck and read the script and was, oh, I don't need to bring much to this. It doesn't feel like lazy because I don't want to put that on him, but it feels like he knows the quality of the script and is not going to try and elevate it. He's just going to deliver it and, and go home, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's an accurate description. I mean, that's flat out but the same vibe I've got. Same vibe I've got. That all said, the makeup's great, like I said, but mm-hmm. there's something else in this movie that I found to be top-notch. 
listeners, can you guess what I'm about to talk about? <laughs> I loved the music. Oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Albert Glasser. I don't talk about him enough on the show, but he's one of these guys who did a lot of B pictures, a lot of independent pictures, uh, just really in that vein of the classic genre uh, film score mold. And I really enjoy what he does. Uh, I love his work on Tormented. I love his work on The Cremators, uh, to hear him in this. He also did Earth vs. a Spider, to go back to that. Teenage Caveman, which we'll be talking about here in the near future with Joel Schultz. I mean, he did that music too. Uh, You know, it's just, he did a lot of this music, a lot of it for Roger Corman, Mm -hmm. uh, including the, the best and probably longest title of a movie that I will talk about here on the show at some point, the saga of the Viking women and their voyage to the waters of the great sea serpent, which that sounds great. Just from that title. I have not. Yeah, seen it that does. One. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot. And I think I stumbled across a soundtrack of this film somewhere. So, uh, fingers crossed that, uh, it's something that sounds good on its own because I really enjoyed it in the film. If you watch this movie muted, it will feel really long and very slow, but with the music and everything, it, it does a good job of kind of mitigating the fact that they put their bad guy in a suit that he can't really move in all that much. And the fact that he just kind of lumbers like it, it, they work around the limitations with the monster in a really nice way. And the music it also seems to be very full, uh, meaning it feels bigger than maybe the movie itself mm-hmm. is. It fills a lot of the movie, too, in in that there's just not three or four tracks that get played and mixed and whatever over and over again. There is music running from pretty much the beginning to the end of the film. I feel like it needed a little bit of a... um, It couldn't have hurt to put in, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon sting, like that initial riff. (laughs) You know, something like that. Every time Vargas appeared, if he had his own little theme. But that's such a minor complaint. Like, the music is, is so much better than I've seen in a lot of these movies from that time. Again, though, every movie would be better with a little bit of that creature from the Black Lagoon sting. That is just, true. You know, you just, you know, that and mummies, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll throw in creatures, too. Like, we can just have mummies, creatures, the creature sting. It'll be great. We'll toss everything into movies. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a movie, like I said, it was something that just kind of existed on the periphery of my knowledge for a long time. But it's something that you've been aware of. Do you remember what when you first saw it or what your circumstances <laughs> were when you first discovered the film? It's a movie that I remember having seen as a very little kid when they would show like public access monster movie stuff. I don't remember when exactly, but it was a movie that just like a year ago, I was, wasn't there a movie with like a giant conquistador? Like, I remember that. And I looked it up and I found this and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hold off on rewatching it until I, I can talk about it on Monster Kid Radio. So this basically was a fresh watch for me. But I remembered Vargas. I didn't remember his name, but I remembered what he looked like. I remembered the kind of lurching, his axe, all that kind of stuff. I I watched a lot of these old monster movies when I was a kid, but I don't remember when I saw this one. So I've seen a few places indicate this is in the public domain. Is this film in the public domain? I I don't know if I've ever seen it like on a Mill Creek set or maybe I'm just not paying attention. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's another thing, because I was looking that up last night, too, and, and trying to figure out if it is actually public domain or not. I can't imagine that like a cable company would have paid all that much for the rights to show this if it wasn't a public domain thing that they could just broadcast. So I guess it must be, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a whole thing. Like a lot of this stuff is very much, um, you can't necessarily determine it's in the public domain, but the only way to know is if someone tries to put it out and get sued. 
<laughs> which, you know, I know there's that whole, is it better to ask for forgiveness than permission, but it's not something I'd want to even <laughs> take the no, chance on right it. now. No, I'm not no. going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm remaking Giant from the Unknown. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would love to. And I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason why it wasn't more on the forefront for me mm. uh, as I look at, because I own easily 20 Mill Creek sets, I'm sure, you know, and all these public domain sets. And I watch a lot of horror hosts and all that. And if it was free and clear and everybody knew it, I'm sure it would have popped up more often because it does have a nice runtime. You know, it's just barely over an hour. It's got a great monster and I could see doing a lot with it with like the wraparound segments or the, you know, the cut to commercial breaks or whatever. And you just said something, you just said you'd remake it. Oh yeah. It's got something there. It's got, it's got a kernel of something in there. Purely like Vargas is really the thing, like the guy himself. Cause he's got the, the like makeup makes him look kind of like, um, like almost petrified. They, it, it does like a nice, um, there's some nice texturing on his face. He's got the armor. He's like a giant conquistador. It's just, that is so much of a good idea. That's kind of buried in a movie that can't quite support it. And just that makes me want this character to live on and do other stuff. Sure. It is a cool monster. And so to talk about the monster a little bit more about why there's this giant conquistador running around, <laughs> this professor comes to this small town because he's trying to prove this theory that he, or, or just discover the existence of this Diablo giant, this giant conquistador that may have existed in this area. And they're trying to find his remains or record of him or whatever. Uh, they do find him. Obviously there wouldn't be a movie otherwise, but earlier in the film, the, the younger guy, <laughs> Uh, Brooks, right? reveals that he found a lizard that is <laughs> extinct. What do you mean it's extinct? Well, and then here's a very clunky attempt at pulling a Jack Arnold, trying to explain some science that, oof, this science is pretty bad. Uh, he was he was trapped in some rocks and kept in suspended animation. What? Yep. You know, um, suspended animation, that thing that actually happens. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so what if the lizard couldn't breathe, eat, or drink water? It was fine. It was in rocks. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as that happened, as soon as those words came out of that dude's mouth, I was like, okay, this is how the giant's going to come back. I get it. Yeah. Thank you for hitting me over the head with this bit of ridiculously scienced foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> like, come on. And it's the only time we see the lizard, too. I, I half expected the lizard to come back or they were going to find something out. The lizard was going to mutate or something mm. and they were going to use the lizard to find a weakness against the giant. But no, just that one scene and that's it. Like we've been kind of leading to the monster and the script are kind of at odds with each other. And this feels like the most clunky uh, way that they're trying to make the giant fit into the world of the film. Like, this would be a lot better if it if it just let it be like, oh, Vargas was, like, into the occult, so he, like, cast a spell on himself to sleep for a long time, and now he's waking up to conquer the world, you know? It would just be a little bit better if it wasn't, no, there's a very good scientific reason for this giant Spaniard to be, <laughs> to be alive right now. <laughs> you know, if this movie was made in the 40s, maybe they would have gone with the occult, but it is the late 50s. Things yeah. are kind of that wacky atomic science kind of thing, so let's play with this, uh, yeah, he's trapped in rocks. <laughs> so he's trapped in rocks until about halfway through the movie but before he gets released from the rocks he's trapped in by lightning he's already been killing cattle and sheep and destroying hen houses that's yeah that um <laughs> big plot hole here I, this i don't get 
no, there's no, it, that just makes no sense. That's clearly just the writer did not care. Or the writers, there there was more than one. Maybe something got <laughs> confused, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen style, who knows. I'm sure it got passed through a lot of hands before it got to the, the credited writer. I'm sure, you know, th- I'm sure there was a room full of people that were all working on it. I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. And a lot of it probably just, wouldn't it be cool if, yeah, put that in too. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Frank Hart Tossig and Ralph Brook are the credited uh, screenwriters on the film. I don't know much about them. I, I haven't even really looked up what they've done other than this. It doesn't look like they've got a lot to their name. Understandably so, probably, just given some of the plot issues here and, and the portrayal of women. But... Again, I don't know. It's so strange because it's a movie that feels like it should work. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't, but there's stuff that does. Like I said, this is a flawed attempt at replicating the Universal Monster stuff, but it's very much trapped in the 50s, and that really hurts it. Which is unfortunate. Again, there's a lot of things here. If you were to remake the film, what kind of things would you highlight or expand upon to kind of give it more oomph? Well, I think I would do a lot more with the character of Indian Joe, because, again, they have his intro be all white men must die, and then they do almost nothing with him. They have him show up and talk in pidgin English for a while. They just have him get killed by the giant basically off screen. Mm-hmm. I-, I thought it would be really interesting because I-, I kept thinking there was going to be a scene where the people were like, hey, Indian Joe, do your- does your tribe have any stories of when these conquistadors came? Again, like you were saying with the scene with the lizard in suspended animation, I kept waiting for some other information to be revealed about Vargas that some other from some other place that would help them beat him. But they ultimately just like, he just falls off a dam, you know? (laughs) So like, Oh yes, I know. (laughs) I I really would have enjoyed doing a little more with Indian Joe because all white men must die is a great character introduction. Oh, it's great. But the second to the last time we see him, He's buddy, buddy with Wayne. You are my friend. You are a good person. Yeah. I mean, that's after he kind of shoots at him, but you know, he still says. Yeah. And he does it like in really bad grammar too. After his first appearance, Indian Joe starts to become like very much a product of the time that this is being made in a way that's really disappointing because from the setup, you think he's going to be important. Oh man. So we would expand upon Indian Joe. I would also have Vargas have more to do. Like I would have him, you know, attempt to communicate, be speaking in Spanish. I think you also need him trying to do something other than just get away from the people that are attacking him. Like he's a master of the occult or something. He's going to raise his conquistadors and conquer the new world. Something like that feels like something that this kind of a monster should be doing. You could blend him with that kind of the mummy stuff of him being a magic, uh, like a master of magic who can kind of summon more of his kind, you know, like some kind of a a way for that threat to advance so that it doesn't just become a thing where they hit him in the head and he falls. What were the conquistadors doing in this part of the country anyway? Why did they all die right here? Give us something. They do kind of imply that maybe... Something a little fishy happened here because they're all buried here together in their armor. Why do you think that is? Well, maybe there was an epidemic. You know, they didn't really explore that either. You know, give us a reason as to what here. Maybe Vargas sacrificed them all so that he could continue and and live on forever or whatever. Some sort of weird occult thing. Who knows? Yeah, but something would have been. Yeah, it'd be fun to. Man, now I want to write a remake. (laughs) (laughs) Give us something. I mean, if nothing else, let the conquistador continue uh, to uh, conquistador. 
<laughs> yeah, let him like speak Spanish and threaten people and, you know, let him be not just a like a big uh, lumbering monster, but let him be intelligent, too. Yeah. You don't really feel like there's stakes at any point in the movie, except when Sheriff Parker arrests Brooks because he thinks he killed one of the victims. Like, that's the only point where you go like, oh, this there's going to be a story here. And then they don't really do anything with it. Brooks steals the cop car. They go up to the mountains and they get like the lynch mob that's gathered for him to follow them so that they can see the monster finally. I kept thinking again that there was going to be some other story shoe to drop and that there was going to be a little more to it. And the plot is just so thin. Well, I think one of the issues, too, is that so many of the uh, confrontation moments, the the, the places where the story is going to pivot a little bit, all happens off screen. Yes, there's a little bit of him moving towards people and then it cuts away. Well, you know, not just him killing somebody, but the whole the sheriff is insistent that Wayne is guilty. But we don't know why other than, well, he just doesn't like him. So obviously something happened at some point. And then you talk about him stealing the cop car to get the lynch mob to go after him. That would piss off the sheriff. In fact, the sheriff even yells, I want that murderer dead or alive. And everybody goes after him, right? Yeah, he shoots at the car, I think. He shoots at the car. You know, they're shooting at this guy. But when they get to the camp and he gets out of the cop car, he tells the professor, tell him what's going on. And he takes off. The next time we see, you know, the sheriff, he's already been told what's going on. He's already had to confront the fact that he's been wrong this whole time. We don't even get to see that, you know, that discovery. Now he does address it and kind of sort of apologizes later, but we still don't see how that's resolved because really the dude stole a cop car. (laughs) Yeah. Like regardless of, of why the sheriff doesn't like him and we never really get a good reason for that either. But at this point, I think there should be some kind of a resolution to, to just the stealing of the car. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, you know, I mean, I guess having a, a, the Diablo giant running around kind of makes you re-examine what's important, but they don't even really say that. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that too. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if maybe that was something that was in a script somewhere that got cut because I thought it might be running too long. They wanted to make this movie good and short so they can pack it in with a double feature, which they did with, uh, was it she demons? It was released with. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I just, which is another, you know, same directors. Yeah. I feel like if there was a scene where it's just the sheriff and Brooks taking on the giant and you could have them have that moment where they're like, oh, we've got to work together. We'll put our differences aside and come back to it just to have them say it. We, we get almost that, but we just never quite get there. You know, we, we yeah. want, I wanted that. I actually felt more tension in the scene in which the professor is using the axe to cut the handcuffs than anything between the sheriff and Wayne, yeah. you know, going back and forth, back and forth over what's going on. And, you know, I just felt like that relationship needed to be explored a little bit more so that we could resolve it better and have a better payoff. It's tough because so many of the scenes towards the back half of the movie just become Vargas throwing rocks at guys who are shooting at him. And it goes on like a little bit too long each time. Oh, they're filling time now to get to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. When the characters are so bare and they have time they could spend expanding them and they're not spending it that way and instead they're just buying time you start to see the problems a lot more in the back half of the movie when you realize the stuff that's set up is not getting paid off. They're just kind of buying time until they can get to that mill fight at the end, which is really cool. Like, I, I really like all the sure. stuff with mill. Well, and then we even get snow. I mean, and, and that yep. was set up. And maybe that's a bit of, of smart filmmaking. I'll give this film, film that because at mm-hmm. one point they do talk about how we're going to get above the snow line. They're not going to come save us if there's a problem. It happens. It's not really relevant to any part of the story, but it is yeah. there. 
Yeah, I, I think you need the last bit of this movie to be the sheriff and Brooks putting aside their differences and being like, okay, we're going to go out there, just us. We're not going to put anybody else in danger and we're going to take this guy on. So it can be about them putting aside their differences to defeat a common enemy. You know, yep. like then then it would feel like that had led to something instead of what you have where the climax of the movie happens, but it's just Brooks fighting the giant. And then the professor and the sheriff just stand off to one side while Brooks kisses the professor's daughter. Well, okay, I guess the plot's done. Pretty much, right? Yeah, and nope. I, again, I, I, don't mean to, I don't mean for this to take such a negative tone because I really do like a lot of this movie. Minute to minute, it's enjoyable to watch, but there are very obvious flaws. Yeah. Now, it's still enjoyable. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I mean, and here on MKR, you know, I mean, my whole thing is there's always something to like in these movies, right? Yes. Sometimes we have to look a little harder, but there's always something to like. And there is a lot to like here. I love Vargas. I want more with Vargas. And now I think we really need to find out if it's in the public domain, because if it is. <laughs> be nice. We could definitely do something with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I do I'll like- write a script for this, even if it isn't in the public domain. <laughs> as, as previously established on this show, I have written a remake of Alligator People, even though no one will ever let me make it. <laughs> but I love the idea of Vargas having some occult stuff to him. I mean, that that just speaks to me because I love my supernatural evil threats and all that. And just mm. if you were to remake it, would it be a period piece or would you? I would probably have it set still in the 50s because my aesthetic very much is I want to go for practical effects where I can. And sure. with this, I feel like this is calling out for stop motion animated skeletons in conquistador armor. Oh, like a yes. little Harryhausen style. Oh, you know? man, dude, you just broke part of me. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> like, I feel like that's <laughs> this needs like assault on the town by skeleton conquistadors and the sheriff and Brooks being like, OK, let's get through these guys. Let's go get the giant. If we kill him, all of those die. You know, like it needs a little bit of that. Like it just needs a, a, an overarching threat that these guys can come together to solve. I love this so much. (laughs) (laughs) We can make it happen. I'm sure the rights for this are like $3. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I can't even find who produced the film. I see who distributed it, but Mm -hmm. uh, all the research that I found is just that it's independently produced, which could mean anything. Yeah. That's a lot of the trouble too, is, is to find that you'd have to hire someone to dig through the records from where from like around where this was made and hope they would find who was listed as the owner of this script, the owner of the film. Like it would be really hard to actually determine who was involved with this, but I guess Amazon prime has, cause they have it on the, on their service. Unless it's in the public domain and they're okay with ex- just believing that to be the case. I don't know. Cause Amazon can probably take somebody suing them to determine if it's in the public domain or not. Maybe they're just Mm -hmm. getting lucky and the person who owns this doesn't know they own the rights. I cut this from a recent episode, but uh, earlier, let's see, the uh, beginning of August, I had an episode where I had Micah Harris on and we talked about the movie The Man Without a Body. Mm -hmm. And we were curious about the rights. And uh, like I said, I cut it from the episode. But while we were chatting, I went to the copyright office's website, did a search and found that, yeah, Paramount actually owns that film. But it was buried you know it was really hard to find that out uh let's have some exciting podcasting here i'm gonna look up giant from the unknown oh please uh, yeah let's see what we can find out i want to make vargas as as a a new movie for a new millennium (laughs) all right so it is coming up in several different search results 
uh, by itself and under another title, uh, Monster of Devil's Crag, which was actually kind of cool, this Devil's Crag thing they kept bringing up. Oh. The name Wade Williams is attached to it. Are you familiar with Wade Williams? I am not. It sounds really familiar, but I don't. Uh, it, nothing's coming to mind. Okay, so uh, I I've never met him. I've spoken with him once. Uh, he is somebody who has helped Susan Hart kind of hold on to the rights and, and not really do much with the rights to things like I was a teenage Frankenstein, I was a teenage werewolf, things like that. He's also somebody who has come forward and said that he owns the rights to Plan 9 from Outer Space. I think at one point he tried to put his name on Night of the Living Dead as well. He also, uh, and this this is legit, he did pay for the lab fees to free up an Ed Wood film that Ed Wood couldn't pay the fees on during his life, so he is the copyright holder of the movie Night of the Ghouls, uh, Ed Wood film. But yeah, Wade Williams' name is coming up on a lot of this, so I, I don't know. and I, I've never really had contact with him, like I said. Mm. I would love to chat with him. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, maybe even have him on the show. I think it'd be a fascinating talk because I'm a copyright nerd. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Hmm. But it's also turning up in several different film libraries as well. A lot of times banks will get a hold of a package of films because a studio will use that as collateral for money for something else. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't pay it back, well, then the bank ends up owning this. So like City National Bank is one of the parties that owns this collection of 1,578 films. Uh, and <laughs> Giant from the Unknown is in that library of films. So you know, I wonder who really owns the rights here. Uh, who owns what rights, that sort of thing. Probably boring the heck out of the listeners right now. So I'm going to get <laughs> oh, no, off the topic. Oh, this is fascinating what? for me. Oh, though, I, so. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love works. this stuff, man. I love this stuff. This is fascinating too. And I often say if I could figure out a way to just go to law school to learn, learn this part, I wouldn't a minute in a hot minute. Let's see. Image Entertainment, PNC Bank also have a claim on it. So yeah, who knows if it's really public domain or not. Yeah, this is almost something where I kind of want to like maybe not do a remake of it, but write it as a novella or something and just see if anyone sues me because then at least I'll know. <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, the changes that we're talking about making here do stray from the original. I wonder if there'd be enough there to say, nope, nope, it's a totally different thing. It's brand new. We just looking for it. Who knows? I yeah, it would definitely be a thing where it would just be paying for the name Vargas and for the title Giant from the Unknown. Like, because yeah. otherwise it is an entirely different story. You know, it's mm -hmm. definitely transformative. So it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, I might I might just come back in a year and be like, hey, I have this completely unrelated giant story. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. You know, and I don't know, I keep talking about that. I don't want to get into a lot of copyright stuff here on the show because I don't know how exciting it is for people. But if there is anybody out there who's into or knows about copyright law, any lawyers, I would love to chat with you. Get a hold of me. It'd be that fun would to be talk. fascinating. I would oh, love man. to listen to like, I would love to listen to a whole podcast just about that. Yeah. Like that'd be, oh, yeah. that'd be great. We've strayed quite a bit from this film. <laughs> no. Like I said, there's a lot to like here. I love the design of Vargas. I mm -hmm. love the pieces of imagination that it sparks within me when I think about Vargas. Uh, just the size of him. This is Spanish conquistador running around this small town that's in a national forest somewhere. They actually shot in a national forest somewhere or, or a national park, one of the two. 
it's got this kind of small town feel, which is one of the things that I really like about things like the monolith monsters or tarantula. You know, there's a small town that's menaced by a monster of some sort. I like that as well. I like that everybody kind of knows everybody. There's the, the one guy that may be kind of crazy that runs the, the general store. So you got a little bit of maybe monster Piatras Blancas there, which I really like too, even though that movie came out later. So, I mean, just all these different elements of different monster movies I can find in this film. And for that alone, I had a good time. Like I said, there's a lot of flaws in the back half, but all the stuff with the giant in the back half is really, really interesting. The whole fight where he's like up on a hill and he's throwing rocks Donkey Kong style at the people who are chasing <laughs> him is really fun. And then the mill fight, I, really, the mill fight cannot be overstated because it's really cool. At the end of the day, it does kind of just turn into two guys hitting each other and dodging out of the way of each other. But the way that they set up the mill fight, they have the snow superimposed over. They end up over the dam. Although the optical shot where Vargas falls off the dam is, I mean, that that's where the budget shows the most because that shot is terrible. It's, it's quite dodgy. And I don't yeah. know if that was the uh, extent of the technology at the time or they just couldn't afford to make it look any better. But it is yeah. quite dodgy. It's noticeable, yeah. certainly. Whereas the rest yeah. of that mill fight is really solid. Yeah. When we get to the end with the mill, is that the first time the mill even came up? I think so. I think they just mention it in dialogue earlier, but only like oh, two or do? three scenes earlier. Okay. I think they just say something like, oh, I think he's headed up by the old mill, like just as a throwaway line, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I would have liked to have heard about the mill beforehand, I think. Yeah. You know, if they're going to set up that it's like a sawmill town, there's some stuff that they could do to set all this stuff up better. Yeah. Give us a little bit more background about this, the town. Does the town even named? Uh, let's see. I have it written somewhere. So yes, but I don't remember what it is, which is not okay, a good sign. I, I couldn't remember. Devil's Crag Pine is the Ridge. burial place. Pine Ridge. Pine Ridge. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Pine Ridge, California. Yeah. Yep. Not as good as Devil's Crag. No. And you know, what is the, uh, the, the industry here? Because they're talking about livestock mutilation. So is it a livestock town? Is it you know, a lot of, you know, whatever going on there? Or is it the mill or, you know, what's going on? And yeah. What's Indian Joe's deal? And, you know, there's this Indian burial ground that nobody's allowed to go to and, yeah, which um, huh. actually also while we're circling back around to that, there's a really nice montage in the middle of this movie. Yes. Where they have the map of Devil's Crag. And as you're seeing through it to the footage of our characters exploring, parts of the map disappear as they've searched it. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, th that optical effect works out great. Yeah. that's That one's like perfect. That was like, oh, this is inventive. It's nice. It feels fresh. Yeah. There's a lot to like here. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. And as of right now, anyway, it is available on Amazon Prime. So if you are a user of that service, stream it, check it out. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Talk about it on Facebook or send in some feedback or whatever. I love the score. Like I said, I'm going to check out the soundtrack that I think I got my hands on and see how it holds up. And I'm going to be thinking about Vargas for quite some time. His charisma is weird for a guy who never talks. <laughs> <laughs> The Monster Marathon, now all in one gigantic show, three of the newest and most exciting monster hits, starring Earth champion and protector Godzilla. First, thrill the Godzilla on Monster Island, with more monsters than have ever appeared on the screen at one time. Then, it's the action-packed Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster. And finally, the classic Godzilla versus Megalon, all three in one colossal show, rated G. that noise? I don't know. Spiders. I told them to bring me one and I believe it. 
Well, I can't say I blame you, Sheriff. But Flynn is still missing. Deep into caverns whose very air is putrefied by the stench of death. They search ceaselessly for a missing man, or possibly a giant spider no one really believes exists. Except the high school teacher who knows his science and his students. There may be more giant spiders coming into the world. They may even be hatching from their eggs in some remote spot right now. Do you realize how easy it would be for them to overcome us humans? A horrifying spectacle. Its existence shocks and fascinates the world of science. Its gigantic claws capable of crushing a man. Or tearing a woman apart as if she were a fly. But nothing sends the cats like the presence of out-of-this-world horror. A heart-stopping experience that defies man's imagination. That shrinks every woman's skin with the tension of terrifying withdrawal. As if a thousand spiders were taking possession of her body. You'll never believe it until you see it. You'll never forget the touch of the spider. Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a man -house! A man -house! Hey guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong, Creature from the Black Lagoon, or Godzilla. <laughs> If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off. End transmission. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thank you for being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience for me. I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody sending in these amazing segments. I appreciate the voicemails. I appreciate all the contact and the interaction that I have with you guys and gals. You guys and gals really make it worth it for me. So thank you so much. If you want to interact with the show, head over to monsterkidradio.net. Follow the link to our Facebook group or our Facebook page or on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter as well. You can shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Also have links to our YouTube page over here. Well, and basically links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. If you heard about it here on this episode, it's going to be in the show notes. You know, Monster Kid Radio has also been getting more and more involved on Reddit. Now, I don't have an actual subreddit or anything set up for Monster Kid Radio yet. That would be something that would be amazing to do. But if you look up user Monster Kid Radio, well, that's me. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but uh, I'm there. Speaking of other places you're going to find me, Twitch. 
twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. It's not live all the time. In fact, I've just been kind of playing with it a little bit, testing it out, seeing what it can do, because that is where we're going to have our 2019 Monster Kid Radio Halloween Movie Marathon Watch Along. That's right. Just like last year, I'm going to be playing movies all bloody day on Halloween Day on October 31st. I'll be starting pretty early in the morning here, you know, in Oregon, so Pacific time. And then I'm going to be going all day and late into the night. Nothing but monster movies. We've got a theme for this year. I've got some surprises. I've got all sorts of cool stuff ready to go. And to take full advantage of it all, you're going to want to make sure you have an account at Twitch, which is free. So head over to twitch.tv, get yourself signed up, and you know, friend or subscribe or connect to whatever it is that Twitch does to, well, me, Monster Kid Radio. Stay tuned because as we get closer to Halloween and the movie marathon watch along, we'll have more details for how you can be more involved in the festivities. What's coming up next week? Well, you're going to have to hop on over to YouTube to check out the Coming to Monster Kid Radio in September 2019 video. I've also got that video embedded in our website, again, monsterkidradio.net, to see what's happening next week. I've got an old friend coming back to the show, somebody who's not been on the show enough. It's a fellow podcaster, and I think you're going to enjoy what she has to say. Oh, she. Mm. I just gave away a little bit of a hint. Anyway, check out the YouTube video to learn a little bit more about who's going to be coming to Monster Kid Radio next week, or just sit tight and stay tuned and come back here in six and a half, seven-ish days. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Sand Riders. That belongs to the band City of the Lost. It is from their album, The Second Lizard Radio Bootleg City of the Lost Go Surf by City of the Lost. You can find them at City of the Lost band.com or cityofthelost.bandcamp.com just follow the link in the show notes folks check them out and let them know that monster kid radio sent you my name is Derek m cook talk to everybody next week ciao